As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. Today we are talking all things MLS Cup after LAFC beat the Philadelphia Union in penalties yesterday at Bank of California Stadium. My name is Joe Lowry and today I'm joined by a man who stayed up late like the true professional he is to watch that MLS Cup game yesterday. It's Graham Ruthven. Graham, first of all, hello. And second of all, what time did MLS Cup kick off for you? Because right now daylight savings just happened and here in the U.S., my ability to tell time is an absolute shambles. <laughs> well, first of all, hello, Joe Lowry, and I hope Hello. you enjoyed that uneventful, boring, dull MLS <laughs> Cup final that we had on Saturday evening. Um, MLS said that this match was going to kick off at 8pm, and actually it wasn't too yeah. far away from that. I've had it much worse when you get to about half an hour after the after the listed time. But yes, it was probably about, what would it have been like, uh, close to 11pm in the UK by the time this, this match uh, wrapped up and by the time we had... A winner, but I have to say, I don't begrudge that too much because what a game this was. I mean, we spoke before the match earlier in the week about how this could be one of the best ever MLS Cups. And that was a common narrative. It was something that was mentioned. Obviously, we were talking about the the quality of the two teams. And in the end, I think we may have got the best ever MLS Cup in terms of the the entertainment. I mean, LAFC and Philly have certainly played more complete matches this season. There were times when it was all a bit messy, particularly in extra time, those last 10 minutes. But wow, what a game. And there haven't really been many classic MLS Cups in in recent years. There hasn't been one for a long time, but I, I have a feeling this one will be spoken about for, for years to come. Yeah, this is an all-timer, Graham. And it, it, they did do you a favor by having so many of those game-changing moments to keep you awake. I don't know if you had any other assistance, <laughs> if you were drinking any caffeinated beverages. Either way, this game was like a caffeine hit in and of itself. The atmosphere being in LA, I was in yeah. Bank of California Stadium, was wild. And there were so many of these just massive emotional swings, right? So you get Kellen Acosta's goal in the first half, and, and the bank goes crazy after that goal goes in. It's loud, and it was loud, credit to the 32-52 and to everybody else in that stadium. It was loud for a long time, even before that goal was scored. People were excited. People were there early. Parking or no parking, people were in their seats. So it was a great atmosphere. And then Daniel Gazda gets his goal off of just a wonky Philadelphia Union set piece, recycled set piece of sorts in the second half. And the air just goes out of that place. And it takes it a while for the atmosphere to come back. And then LAFC get back on the board later in the second half. And, and I think, and I think a lot of other folks thought it's over, right? Jesus Maria scores, Jesus Murillo, excuse me, scores that goal off of another set piece. And I think it's done. And then Jack Elliott comes back and plays spoiler and the air is gone again. And the union are going crazy on the sidelines. They're back in this thing. It was just a, a truly wild game that doesn't even get to extra time, that doesn't even get to Maxime Cripo's injury, and it seems like he's okay, just not going to be playing soccer, really, for the foreseeable future. And then John McCarthy, come, it, it, it was just truly wild, Graham. This match yeah. was one of the best, for sure, that has ever been played in Major League Soccer. Yeah, I mean, there were just so many narratives that it was almost difficult to to keep track of everything by the end, and, and I, w I watched the... 
the the extra time guys do their their live broadcast after the game, and I, I would have struggled. You just, you, in that Graham, role. you just didn't want to sleep. What the heck? I mean, that was like <laughs> we had gone through ninety minutes, we had gone through extra time, we had gone through penalties, and you're like, no, I'm not ready to sleep yet. We're watching more soccer stuff. What I wanted to see was how Matt Doyle would di- dissect that madness <laughs> that we had just watched. And, and I think everyone's head was kind of spinning a little bit. And the guys did an excellent job, much better than I would have, because it's taken me pretty much a full day to collect my thoughts on on, on what we watched. Joe, I'm interested in the atmosphere. The TIFO before the game was fantastic. The dra- Dragon Ball TIFO from LAFC and... Um, there was a picture that MLS and, and LAFC put out of. MLS must have had like social media people on the pitch, and they t- they t- they've taken this picture of uh, the LAFC huddle in front of that. It's so good. And honestly, I think that is one of the, the the enduring images of this game. The other one, obviously, being the, the Gareth Bale celebration. That picture right there, I tweeted about this, but that picture right there of Gareth Bale celebrating with the, the fans going nuts in the background, that is what LAFC paid the money for I know Bale's not on the biggest money but nonetheless that is why they signed him was for that moment so just in terms of the entertainment the the headline moment which MLS fans might not like this because Gareth Bale has not really played much of a part for LAFC since signing but nonetheless in a global sense this game got that moment by Gareth Bale scoring that goal that is the thing that's on the BBC Sport homepage this morning that's the thing that's kind of gone viral around European Twitter and so it just ticked every single box. It was goals, chaos, headline moment, atmosphere, celebrities. Did you bump into any celebrities, Joe? <laughs> Did you have a good chat with uh, Justin Bieber at any point? So my, my family was texting me at halftime uh, to inform me, as if I didn't already know, but to inform me very kindly that Justin Bieber was in the stadium and that I should go try to find him. They also kindly informed me that he was wearing a pink hat. Um, so that did, <laughs> that did help a little bit in my search, but I, I did not end up actually finding Justin Bieber. But no, Graham, I mean, I wrote about this after the game. For backfield, this match was a reminder that LAFC can be very glitzy, right? Can be very glamorous. And that you have everything from that pre-match picture and the clean jerseys, the great iconic almost jersey designs of black and gold. And the stadium is state of the art. It's new. They have these superstars. We saw moments where that played out, right? We saw Gareth, but Gareth Bale's late equalizer that gets this game into penalties after pretty much all hope was lost for LAFC, down to ten men. You have that moment. And then in penalties, you have the hero of the penalty kick shootout being either one of two players. The first option that I don't really subscribe to this is Ilya, who scores the game-winning penalty. That is something. He came in as a free agent from Sporting Kansas City. That's one pathway. And the other pathway that I do subscribe to is John McCarthy, backup goalkeeper, 30 years old, Philadelphia native, coming on against his former team. He had signed a homegrown, I believe, contract with them in 2015. He had also played for the Rochester Rhinos back before (laughs) he signed for the Philadelphia Union. And the other team... I believe was, uh, it, it was something Nor'easters. It was some ridiculous name. It's the Ocean City Nor'easters. No offense to the Ocean City Nor'easters. But I mean, these are deep cuts in American soccer. And it's John McCarthy, the guy who makes the big saves in, penal- in the penalty shootout to win this game for LAFC. Mm. You can get the contrast between the glitz and the glamour and the scrap. Yeah. And LAFC kind of leaned into the scrap in this game. And large stretches of open play in this match were ugly, right? It was, the first half was not pretty. Neither team was creating any chances. And we'll talk more about why that was later on. But there were stretches of this game that were ugly. But the reason why it's going to live on and I think is one of the most memorable and one of the best MLS games of all time is because of the stories. Graham, this reminded me why we love sports so much. I wrote through a little bit of an analysis piece, but you know, one of the opening lines in that article I wrote for Backyield was, you sort of have to read between the, the game's chaotic lines because it was pure chaos. Either team could have won this game. I think you can't really argue with the fact that either team would have or could have deserved it. It was just energy. After you get through the first half, it was energy on energy for minute after minute. It was it was bonkers. And being there in the stadium was a, a genuine treat. And I was really mm. thankful to be there. Graham, speaking of stadium stuff, you tasked me before the game, before yes, we I dive did. any further into the lineups and we get into the action. You tasked me with learning about the stadium food at Bank of California uh-huh. Stadium. And I, I tried to deliver. So I've got a list for you of what the Excellent. food was. A lot of it looked good and smelled good as well. I don't have pictures for you. Otherwise, I would have sent them. But I want to I want to go through this list of food and then have you rate okay. what you think the overall offering is. Does that sound okay? Yes. Music to my ears. Okay, let's do this thing. So the first thing I saw walking around the concourse before the game, Korean fried chicken and waffles. And we had oh, somebody yes. tweet at us about this as well who said it was very good. It looked good. It smelled good. That was the first thing. The second thing was nachos, sort of uh-huh. a classic American stadium food. Sure. I, I hope they were I hope they were done up a little bit being at Bank of California Stadium. But either way, 
Nachos, the pizza smelled really good. It smelled excellent. Tacos, loaded fries, and hot chicken. Those are the six things mm. that I saw that I thought were somewhat interesting and worth telling you about. Korean fried chicken, nachos, pizza, tacos, loaded fries, hot chicken. Graham, where does that stack up for you? Oh yeah, that rates that rates pretty highly. I saw the athletic tweeting about the smell of fajitas around the stadium, so that uh, that got me hungry straight off off the bat. <laughs> and I saw someone tweeted me or you or Total Soccer Show, I can't remember, about frozen margaritas, which on the drink offering front sounds sounds also very very good. It seems like maybe South California isn't the place for a pie, so maybe I would have uh, I, I, I might not have had my uh, my hunger satisfied in that sense you know football is is uh, pies football food for me but that sounds like very authentic southern california fare for a big match so yes that ge- that gets a tick let's say that is i mean if the what what was the korean korean chicken and waffles yeah korean right? if, yeah korean chicken and waffles okay if that is good and you're saying it looked good and people it said did. it was good that then that, that's an a grade for mls cup I would say. I've, I've had much worse stadium food at big big events than that that's that sounds pretty decent high praise from grand ruffin all right let's get into the action in this game grim we've done enough preamble for a game that does deserve plenty of preamble the lineups dropped about an hour before kickoff as they often do i think a lot of it was what we expected lafc mm-hmm. in their 433 the philadelphia union in their 442 Graham, anything interesting that stuck out to you in these lineups was it pretty much what you thought it was going to yeah. be i mean there's a couple of interesting points here certainly yeah, I mean, I didn't think there were any real surprises beside obviously the, the two injury concerns that we knew about before the match. So Giorgio Chiellini doesn't start or he doesn't feature at all actually for LAFC in this game. And then the other one on, on the Philly side, you had Alejandro Bedoya. He, we obviously knew he was an injury concern for this game and he also didn't start or, or feature for Philly. So it's Jack McGlynn who starts in midfield three for, for the Union. But other than that, this is how Philly played the the conference final, certainly in terms of the the players and and the team. It was only one change for them. And it was the same for LAFC as well. So both teams only had one change to their lineup from the conference finals, and that was due to injury or general fitness. But I was interested in how Philly actually played the first half. So while the the teams were, uh, were pretty much what we would expect... The first half was a strange one for me in that it it went against, it slightly went against the grain of what we had expected from this match. So the Union saw much more of the ball than I, than I thought they would. And in fact, they had more of the ball through 90 minutes than, than I expected. So LAFC, they averaged the, the third highest possession in MLS this year, while Philly averaged the third lowest. So from that, you kind of deduced that it would be LAFC who would be the, the primary pr- protagonist in terms of possession. But it was Philly who, in the first half, had a lot of the ball... Both teams were a little bit ragged in their use of possession, so pass completion rates from from both teams were yeah. pretty low. So LAFC was seventy three percent in the first half, Philly was seventy eight. So it didn't really feel like a particularly high quality match, especially in terms of free flowing, fluid soccer in that first half. And actually, when you compare the first half to the rest of the game, besides the goal, the the Kellen Acosta free kick. It was a little bit of a non-event, so I know a lot of people are, are talking about maybe this being the best ever MLS Cup final, and and I would, I would maybe argue in favour of that. But there were periods of this game, particularly early on, when it felt like two, the both teams were kind of feeling each other out, just getting to grips with it with the occasion. I thought there was a lack of quality from Philly in playing into the forward players. So anytime, obviously they have that 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 front three that they they like um, the front two and then Gazdak in behind them. But just the supply line into those players was completely missing. And I thought LAFC, that was the one area where they were edging things in the first half because they did have Carlos Vela, who was, you know, dropping a little bit deep and he was teasing passes in behind. There was one that produced a a good shot from Palacios. um, And then there were some good shot, uh, sorry, crosses from Palacios and Acosta as well. So that was where LAFC were edging things slightly. It was the execution from Philly when they did have possession that was missing and and even when they they did get the ball into their into their forwards their finishing in the first half was pretty wild there was a lot of shooting into the stands <laughs> there, there, there was an opportunity for Uri where he, he tries to kind of round uh, Maxine Crepo that that was maybe the Philadelphia Union's best chance in the first half but beyond that it just kind of felt like even though Philly were seeing lots of the ball their execution was missing yeah, I think that applies to both teams, to be honest with you, Graham. LAFC did have a little bit of the better play in the first half. They edged Philly on expected goals, but like barely. Neither team created anything to speak of. And and even the Kellen Acosta free kick goal, which we can talk about in a second, was fortunate. And, and Kellen Acosta said as much after the game in the post-match pressers. LAFC, Graham, to get back to your point about the Union dominating possession in that first half, or at least controlling the majority of it, LAFC only had more possession than the Union 
in two five-minute intervals of the first half. So if you break the first half, the 40, opening 45, up into five-minute stretches, the Union had the possession advantage in all of those five-minute stretches except two. And that theme generally played out for the rest of the game. LAFC got a little bit more into the action in the second half and a little bit more for the sort of opening stretch of extra time. But their game plan in this match, or at least as it played out on the field, in as much as we can extrapolate what Steve Trondolo wanted to do, was to force Philly to do stuff, right? I mean, that was one of the things we talked about as a possibility coming into this game, is neither team really loves to break down a, a really compact block. So LAFC said, you know, we know that that's maybe not our biggest strength. We know that the Union can be dangerous in transition if we give them space. So I think LA said in this game, you know, we're going to come out and, and kind of force the Union to have the ball. And that was what happened in the opening stages. And you did a good job of laying that out for us, Graham. LAFC kind of drew their line of confrontation ahead of the halfway line or maybe at the bottom of the final third. Chicho Arango was basically allowing one of the Union center backs to drive the ball forward. LAFC would allow them to progress. And the Union did a good job of getting the ball into the final third. But Graham, then you talk about that supply line being kind of cut off to their number nines or even to Gazdog. Once Philadelphia had advanced into the attacking half, LAFC kind of collapsed, right? Then they tightened up their passing lanes. Then they tightened up their block and denied space. And the Union at that point were either too rushed or just lacked the quality to really create much of anything in the final third. So that was the Union's issue, I think, in the first half and really for a lot of this game in open play is they just couldn't create. Once they got to the final third, LAFC were allowing them to get there. They'd open the door, but then they shut it or the Union just weren't really good at walking all the way through it. I don't know what the exact issue is there or how you want to describe it. But then you flip the script and LAFC were, I thought, sloppy going forward as well. Yeah, they had the edge, and you mentioned that, Graham. I think you're right. But they weren't really all that dangerous either. They hadn't created much of anything. There were a bunch of shots in the first half, I believe 16 total between the teams. A lot of them were blocked. A lot of them were from outside the box. Jose Martinez for the Union was shooting from 35 on a regular basis in this match, and it did actually work out for him later. But there just wasn't much to this game until Count Acosta gets the ball in the back of the net. And it's a cliche. The goals really do change games, and they started to change this one. It's the 27th minute. LAFC had already won the ball off of a Jose Martinez giveaway in the Union's half. It's Arango who picks up the ball. He goes forward. He and Cifuentes, and, and it's eventually Martinez bringing Arango down just outside the box in that central kind of area. And it's Acosta and Carlos Vela over the ball. And Graham, I thought it was going to be Vela who took this who took this shot. I think Kellen Acosta did too, based off of what he said after the game, but I, I think he was feeling confident. Vela stunts towards it. He backs off. Acosta takes it with his right foot. It's deflected off the wall. It goes in. It's Jack McGlynn who deflects it off his head mm. and it, it beats Andre Blake at the far post. And it's 1-0. Out of basically nothing, LAFC needed that goal, Graham. They needed something before halftime, I think. Otherwise, the union were going to continue to grow in confidence. This was a big moment for Kawan Acosta and it was a big moment for LAFC. Yeah, you're right. And this was the moment that the game kind of ignited. I mean, it didn't truly ignite until the second half, but at that point... It really did sharpen Philly's focus in terms of finding that supply line. And we saw a little bit, we saw better from them in, in the second half. In terms of how this shot squeezes through the Philly wall, I have a number of thoughts on this. So I don't know what Blake's instructions were. And I know some goalkeepers like to actually keep a gap in the wall so that they can they can see the ball. But it seemed like a very weak wall to me. I don't know if you if, if you think differently, Joe, but it seemed like a weak wall to me. I think if you have that amount of fragmentation in a wall, you're running the risk of a deflection like that. So whether that was how Blake wanted it or whether the wall just broke apart, that, that wall was a problem. And I think it was also notable that the next time that LAFC had a free kick in a similar area, there was about a 10 minute period where Philly kept giving free kicks away in that area as if to, to tease LAFC and into trying it again. Um, but when they did have another free kick, Jack McGlynn was out of that wall. And I don't want to be too harsh because it was unfortunate that McGlynn headed the, the cost of free kick past you know, his goalkeeper. He clearly doesn't mean to do that. But when I think of players you want in a wall, you want players who will take a strike to the face, you know, a ball straight to the face. And that maybe isn't Jack McGlynn at this point in his career. I thought his body shape in the free kick wall was a bit twisted for the, for, for the, for the cost of goal. I was always told that you want to be square on to make yourself as big as possible and, and he didn't really do that. So yes, it was unfortunate for Philly that they conceded in that manner, but they kind of contributed to their own misfortune. I thought it was a, a poorly constructed wall. Yeah, I did as well. And, and maybe less about the wall itself because I think it was a four-man wall for the Union pretty consistently in this game, but it was them getting outfoxed a little bit by LAFC. And this is deep in the set-piece theater weeds here. 
But earlier <laughs> in that in that moment, before El Costa takes the free kick, LAFC send over Ilya Sanchez and Dennis Bawanga over just to the right of the Union's wall, and Mbizo comes over to deal, presumably to deal with those players. And then a few seconds before Acosta takes the free kick, LAFC move Ilié and Boanga back out of the action, basically. So they brought Mbizo over and, and sort of attached him to the wall by themselves. And then they shifted, and Mbizo at that point is in no man's land. He's not tight to McGlynn, and he's not marking anyone, so he he's sort of serving as another screen. But there's a gap. There's the gap, the gap that Acosta goes through to try to hit that free kick. Now he doesn't actually get it on target. He's trying to go upper 90 to his right, uh, Andre Blake's left. He doesn't connect with the ball cleanly exactly how he wants to. McGlynn does deflect the ball, but because Mbizo was dragged over and then moved, I think I think that presented a unique opportunity for Acosta to, to attack through. And it was, like you said, after the game, it was a moment of fortune, right? I mean, that's not something you can really fully script, but there were some set-piece tactics at play, and LAFC are up one nothing. The bank is going wild. Bank of California Stadium is going crazy. It seems yeah. like things have swung in LAFC's favor. Graham, let's take a quick break before we dive into the rest of the first half and get to the even more ridiculous action that is still to come in this game. We'll be back shortly after a few words from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking all things MLS Cup. We left off on Kellen Acosta's free kick goal in the 27th minute. LAFC were up 1-0. The rest of the first half was quiet. Graham, as I thought the the beginning of the second half was quiet. It was... Mm. Lacking rhythm, and, and part of that was because there were multiple injury stoppages. So Christian Arango goes down for a while, and Baizo goes down for a while. They both end up back on the field. And then we get about 15 minutes or so into the action, and the Union score kind of a goal out of nothing. Grim, do you want to walk us through this moment? It's Daniel Gazdag's goal in the 59th minute. What what happened here, and were you as surprised at this moment from home as sort of I think we all were in the press box at Bank of California Stadium? Um, yeah, I was surprised in that Jose Martinez's shot turns into <laughs> the perfect pass for Daniel Gazdak. I mean, one man's scuff shot from distance is another man's perfectly weighted through ball. <laughs> and that is essentially what Daniel Gazdag turns that into. It was um, it was kind of a nothing goal. I mean, similar in a, in a sense, obviously a completely different scenario, but similar in a sense to the first goal in that I don't really think it came from anything that was constructed particularly well from from the Philadelphia Union. It's a, a partially cleared set piece to, to the edge of the box. Martinez um, takes the shot, completely drags it wide. And, and if Daniel Gazdag isn't kind of waiting and, and lurking in a little bit of space just inside the box, then that ball just dribbles about 20 yards wide of, of, of the target. But Daniel Gazdag, the, the turn, the, the recognition that he's got to, to think so quickly, this ball's coming to me. I'm in space, I can turn and I can get a shot away was just fantastic. And it was the sign of a player who's scored 23 goals this season and has been has been one of the best players in MLS this season. At that point, it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a high quality goal. And until that point, I don't think it had been a particularly high quality match, actually. But at that point, when that goal goes in and it's one all, I'm thinking this is becoming a serious final. I'm I'm thinking we've got two teams now that have got a foothold in this game that have built a little bit of confidence. And, and from this point on was when the chaos started to unfold. Yeah, the chaos reigned in. And Jose Martinez is a player who is built for the chaos. He's built for chaotic moments just like this one. Graham, he was credited with the assist. So your point about uh, one man scuffed being another man's <laughs> perfectly weighted through ball is true. He was credited with an assist, which is a reminder that assists are a weird stat that we should always think a little critically about. It's a nice turn from Gazdog, as you mentioned. It's a great moment. This game and one of the themes from this game was set pieces, right? The open play, the open play quality wasn't there. I'd mentioned earlier in the in the first segment how 
LAFC were giving a lot of the ball to the Union, and the Union weren't creating a lot with it in open play, and LAFC really weren't hitting in transition. I want to do one beat here quickly on, on what LAFC were trying to do, because they get back into things a little bit after this goal, and they had stretches of possession before this goal, despite ending with less than 50 on the day. In possession, LAFC, Graham, and I don't know if you noticed this, they were very narrow. They were very narrow. Their fullbacks tend to play narrow, but in this match, Diego Palacios on the left and Ryan Hollingshead on the right were tucked inside, not like a, not like an extra central midfielder, but they were occupying the half spaces a lot. And sometimes Carlos Vela would go wide. Dennis Bolonga didn't really go as wide on his left wing. Vela was, was the one player, I thought, at least for most of this game before the lineups got all switched around with substitutions and injuries. Vela was the pretty much the one player providing width for LAFC. And I think that was a clear tactic by Steve Trondolo, at least in some ways. Maybe he wanted more width more often. But in general, I thought LAFC were conservative in this game. And they were there for a reason. They were pretty obviously, at least in my mind, not really trying to break Philly down in a in a positional play kind of way. In a, you know, we don't want more than two or three players in the same vertical line. We don't want so many players in the same horizontal line. We want staggering positioning Pep Guardiola style. Trondola wasn't really trying to do that. They were limiting their own risks in possession to try to strengthen their ability to counterpress, their ability to restrict Philadelphia's space, and basically say, Philly, if you're going to attack, you're going to have to do it out wide. And that didn't play out for the entirety of this game, but you could see some of those principles before Gazdag's goal. You could see some of those principles after Gazdag's goal. And the downside to all that, conservatism can be helpful when you're trying to restrict your opponent's chances, but it also restricts your own. And so all of a sudden, it's one nail, a 1-1, excuse me. And Graham, to your point, it is, it's on, right? This game is on, and LAFC can't really switch out of that same gear. They can't really find consistent moments to get forward and create chances in open play. And Graham, what else, other than a set piece, is the thing that swings it back in their favor? So it's the 83rd minute. It's Carlos Vela on an in-swinging corner. It's Jesus Murillo, who rises up for a header in front of Jose Martinez, who played a big role in a lot of these goals. It's, yeah. a, it's a good set-piece routine from LAFC. It's bad marking, like really bad marking yeah. from the Philadelphia Union. And all of a sudden, it's 2-1. And Graham, in this moment, I think the game is over, right? I'm going yeah, back and same. forth like a yo-yo in this match. This is maybe the first major yo-yo for the next you know, 45 minutes of play that there still is in this game, even by the 83rd minute. Graham, I thought things were done. I thought LAFC had done it. I thought set-pieces was going to be the X factor in this game. Just a ridiculous moment that started off then a series of ridiculous moments. <laughs> yeah, I also thought the game was done when this goal goes in. This is this is probably the purest of the of the five set piece goals that we had in this game because it is I know the marking is bad. And I do feel a little bit of sympathy for Martinez because he switches off just for a split second and, and that allows Mario to to get away from him. And if the if the delivery is not as good as it is from Carlos Vela, then he probably gets away with that tiny little lapse. But it's, it was a very pure set-piece goal in that it's a good cross, it's a good header. The rest of the set-piece goals were slightly messier than that. But I thought you did a good job, Joe, there of kind of breaking down how LAFC approached this match and, and trying to keep narrow. And that was a bit of a frustration for me yeah. in that they obviously have the players to go and get that second goal when they're 1-0 up. And if they're 2-0 up in this game, I think that's I think that's game over. You know, I don't think Philly come back from that. So it was always likely that set pieces would be a deciding factor in this match. And basically my timeline for a period in this game was just everyone tweeting set pieces uh, every time <laughs> yeah. something happened. I, I was reading on this site called uh, Backheeled. I don't know if you've seen that, huh. that site before, Joe. I'm but, not familiar. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't they know had some numbers on how uh, the Philadelphia Union created the most expected goals per set piece in MLS this season. And LAFC were third in shots created from set pieces per game. Do you like how I'm telling you these stats as if you didn't write them down last I night do in like one of it. your articles? I do like it. But Keep going. the flip side, and this is another, another thing that was in your article, but obviously listeners maybe haven't seen that article. The flip side of that was that both teams were also in the top 10 in MLS when it comes to um, defending the, the quality of op opponents' chances Sorry, on set pieces. So it was remarkable that five of the six goals came from set pieces. And Matt Doyle was saying in, in his live broadcast after the game that before this match, both teams had conceded a combined 13 goals from set pieces this season, which is obviously <laughs> very low. Yeah. They conceded five in one match, which just kind of underlines the chaos that you had from this yes. game but that's why I highlight Joe what you said about how, how this game unfolded and how LAFC made it this way it was kind of when you look at the nuance and the, the things that were underpinning the the contest and how it played out this was kind of how it was always going to be was was a match decided by these kind of moments and it, it was right I think both of these teams have the quality and they showed it in the regular season 
to do more than this, but we know how finals tend to get, right? We've seen it in the World Cup final. We've seen it in the Champions League final. You see it in fill-in-the-blank competition final, right? This is how games tend to get. This match was not the prettiest open play kind of game. I think back to last year's MLS Cup between NYCFC and Portland, NYCFC play with the ball, right? I think if they'd been in this game instead of the Union, we would have seen a, a much different match because NYCFC like to muck things up a lot less than both of these teams do for all of the glitz and glamour in LA and, and with how this team has been built. They like to play in the scrap, right? They like to go out there and be aggressive. They were willing to take the hit on their passing completion rates. They were willing to take the hit in a lot of different ways. Other teams maybe aren't always willing to do that, but LAFC and the Union very much are under Steve Terundolo and Jim Curtin. So, yeah, again, set pieces were absolutely massive in this game. And this wasn't the last set piece goal that was scored. No. So, Graham, you walked <laughs> us through a little bit more of the, the Mario goal. I thought it was done. Graham, to, to, this is confession time, right? I'm going to tell you something. I was already typing it. I was like... Done with my intro, I was into the first section, my article was taking shape, things were looking great. I look up just as something chaotic is about to happen. Shocker. (laughs) Why I thought this game was done, I don't know. But it's Jack Elliott in the 85th minute, not willing to let this one go. It's a Kai Wagner free kick. Shocker. Jack Elliott heads it home. LAFC or Zona marking the line is sort of just ahead of the penalty kick spot. They're defending like pretty much like you would a set piece in this particular situation. Elliott starts his run just inside the top of the box. And another good set piece, right? There's a lot to like about this one as well in terms of the routine and how it's created. It's Jakob Glesnes, so Jack Elliott's center back partner, who makes a great run first into a gap between Palacios and LAFC's line and Sefuentes. So he makes a a run in between those two players, distracting Palacios. Then Elliott comes right in behind into a different gap, and he picks the gap between Palacios, who's standing towards the, the right side of LAFC's line, and Vela, who is to, to the side of him. Sifuentes was to the other side. Glesnes runs into one gap opposite Palacios, or next to Palacios. Elliot runs into the other. Palacios doesn't really know what's going on. He's been pulled in one direction, yeah. then back into the other. It's a headed finish. It is 2-2. Union are going wild on the sidelines. Graham, I, I genuinely cannot believe my eyes at this point. And like I said earlier, this is not even like the, the weirdest or craziest uh-huh. thing that happens in this game. So first thing is um, writing a report for a result or a cup <laughs> final that doesn't turn out that way is is a rite of passage in journalism. Yep. I've been there before. Yep. I don't. I used to it. work for uh, I used to work for STV when they were Champions League right holders in Scotland, and I wrote up a full article saying Atletico Madrid win Champions League. You know, whichever one it was that they that Sergio Ramos scored in the in the like the very last minute, and Sergio Ramos forced me in a, into a complete rewrite in 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 that case. So, Joe just know that that happens yeah. and it will happen again <laughs> over the course of your career. So so be prepared for that. But yeah, this goal, um, I'm glad you highlighted some of the movement because that was where my eye was drawn as well. And you've done a good job of highlighting what Philly did well. I thought LAFC, it just kind of felt like they didn't really, they didn't get a grasp on, on, what, Phil, on what Philly were doing in this moment. So Vela isn't really aware of what's happening around him. I don't know if he could have, got ahead on this but it feels like he's kind of an extra man at the front he's not in the wall so he is, he's not performing that purpose and then the cross just kind of goes over his head so he's not really doing anything and then Palacios and Sifuentes just get clumped together behind Elliot who just ghosts into that area where there are four LAFC players creating this kind of box pocket of space and he just is in the middle of it so it, it didn't really look like yes it was smart movement by by Philly but it it didn't really look like given the number of players that that LAFC had in the box it wasn't particularly great defending from them either but just added to the chaos and and at this point I am fully wired in I'm thinking this this is the greatest MLS Cup final of all time and we still had extra time to come and I think we both adhere to the theory Joe that extra time soccer is garbage soccer most of the time (laughs) <laughs> but at least for the second half of extra time in this game, that was not the case. This this just was even more chaos. Yes, there was more to come. Graham, one other quick thought before we go to our second break here and, and before we dive into extra time. You're talking about the the rite of passage that it is to go through and, and write an article and then have to tear it all up because a, a different team ended up doing something that's relevant to the piece and changed the outcome. That's a reminder to me whenever I think about those moments and I think about this moment in particular of LAFC, I thought they'd won it, and then the Union come back, and, and sort of later on, I thought the Union had won it. It's a reminder at how close this match was, right? I mean, LAFC are going to get all of the glory from this game, but the Union did a lot of good stuff in this match. They did a lot of bad yeah. stuff, too, but so did LAFC. The margins were so thin in this match, Graham. This one genuinely could have gone either way. Jim Curtin in the press conference after the match 
kind of had that that vibe about him, right? Of understanding, man, this is this is just how soccer works sometimes. So the margins where are, are small, things don't go your way. He knew that this team was close. He knew they were so close. He was talking about, you know, wanting the group to stay together next year to make another run at it. Things were were yeah. down to the wire in this game. The margins were so small. This one could have gone either way, and, and I, I do feel for Philadelphia mm-hmm. Union fans and Philadelphia fans in general right now because the Union lost MLS Cup, the Phillies lost the yeah. World Series. Those events are totally equal, and the fans are equally sad about both of them. <laughs> I saw uh, Opta tweeting out. I mean, I know generally nothing about American traditional American sports, but I saw out of kind of the big leagues that Philly had become the first city in history to win a championship game on the same or two championship games in different sports on the same day. So that is uh, bad times for the city of Philadelphia, and the regret that Philly will be feeling this morning will be will be huge. I mean, they were they were three two up and a man up in an MLS Cup game away from home in extra time, and they didn't see it out, and and their regret will go back to the regular season as well because if you're in pretty much any other league. In the world, Philadelphia Union win the Supporters' Shield. They had a greater goal difference than LAFC, but because MLS uses goals won, they, they give the Shield to, to Philadelphia Union. So in both cases, in, in the Shield and also in MLS Cup, they were on the wrong side of bad fortune, and they just need to find a way to use that as fuel to come back again. And that's the encouraging thing for Philadelphia is they, they've done that before. We, we spoke about that earlier in the week is this is kind of a culmination of a process for them. They've been shield winners. You know, they've been second seeds in the East. They look very strong last year. This year, they're, they're um, you know, joint top in the shield standings. Then they make it to MLS Cup. So there is reason to believe that they will come back again and they'll be here again next season. But they need to find a way to, to respond positively to this because lesser characters would kind of be crushed by the disappointment of this season. Yeah, and on that delightfully positive note, don't worry, there are more (laughs) things coming, but we're going to take our second break here. After a word from our sponsors, we'll be back to talk more MLS Cup. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking all things MLS Cup. We're into extra time and telling the story of this ridiculous game. The first half of extra time was boring, and we're not going to talk about it, other than to note that Gareth Bale <laughs> comes into this match, and he does play sort of a, a key part. Now, more of a minor role later on, actually, is what I'm going to amend that to. But Gareth Bale comes on to the field for Carlos Vela in the first half of extra time. Then we get into the second half. It was still 2-2. We're in a deadlock here. And this is when just ridiculousness starts to hit the fans. So the first event, again. Graham, that, that, yeah, again, that Bears talking about is Maxime Cripo's injury. First of all, we just want to wish him... All the best and hope that he's healthy soon. So he comes out to slide on a, a Corey Burke 
moment after Jesus Murillo plays a, a very ill-advised back pass towards the goal and Burke is closing in. Pass. It, the it definition a, of a hospital pass. It is a rugby hospital pass and it turns out that way in this moment to the point where Maxime Cripo is FaceTiming LAFC on his way to the hospital, presumably, and then certainly when he's in the hospital with what we think is a broken leg. So Cripo comes out and he and Burke collide. Cripo ends up with a red card after VR takes a look at it and he's done. Graham, this injury was bad enough to the point where Fox wouldn't show the replay. Um, mm. So this was not a good moment. I think Crippo made the right call to come out, and, and John McCarthy gave him credit for the play of the game, backup goalkeeper for LAFC, for making that move because it, it stopped what could have been a surefire goal. Yeah. I, I think I agree. I don't know if I'd go play of the game, but I think that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, the, the it, he didn't really have much of a choice, did he? Once the, once the situation is created, obviously, Murillo, with, with the back pass, creates the whole situation in the first place. So if he puts a little bit more weight on that pass or just launches it into the stand, then this doesn't unfold. But once that happens, Cropo uh, has to come off his line and also Burke has to put himself in there to try and win the ball ahead of him because, of course, while his injury, it doesn't seem like it's as bad as matching Cropo's, he his match ends... Uh, ultimately, after the, after the, after this incident, and it didn't. It felt like neither player kind of had a choice. They had to. They had to put themselves in there. Um, I feel a bit better about the whole situation when you see Cripo. You mentioned they're facetiming the the team, and even as he's getting taken off the pitch and on the stretcher, he's sitting up and kind of gesturing to his teammates to kind of keep going and fighting. And sometimes with bad injuries, you you'll see players on the stretcher and they'll be they'll be taking oxygen and and. You know, that's when you really know a player is 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 in a bad way. But the way Crapo responded made me think. You know, obviously he'll be out for a while. I'm not yeah. trying to downplay his injury; it's a bad injury. But it kind of makes me think. Um, and obviously, this is my expert medical diagnosis here. But it, it kind of makes me think. In time, he'll be okay. So that made me feel a bit better. And actually, yes. I thought his reaction on the stretcher. You know, just looking at this from a soccer perspective, and obviously your first thought when you have an injury like this is about the person and the player, and hoping that they're okay. But then you start to think about the game and this had been such a, a good game up until that point, it entered my mind, is this going to kind of suck the oxygen out of this game? Because you can have that where a bad injury, all the players are thinking about the bad injury, they're thinking about their teammate, the Philadelphia player Burke is thinking about, I've just injured someone. And that was a real possibility that this game could have just petered out after that injury. I actually think Crapeau reacting that way on the stretcher kind of assured everyone that he was going to be okay he wanted everyone to continue and actually the, the game kind of picked up in the second half again and you you had more chaos so it, it was a it was a turning point in this game in a sense obviously LAFC go down to 10 men as well so that that's another thing but actually it didn't really stem the flow of chaos I'm using that word chaos a lot but that is that is the most apt term for this match it just kind of continued beyond this point yeah so Maxime Cripo comes off he's got a yellow card a red card excuse me so LFC needed to make a sub to get a goalkeeper on the field. It's Apoku who comes off after he was subbed on earlier in the match. Steve Sorondolo talked about after the game, yeah, it was a tactical choice because we needed to keep our big boys on the field, is basically what he said. So they were going for set pieces. They were going to defend set pieces. And it's another goal from Jack Elliott. So that's his second of the match. He was going to be, Graham, he was going to be this game's MVP. He was going to be MLS Cup's MVP for this season because he scores two goals in this match. It's a corner kick. Nothing comes of the initial corner. It's a cross back in header that I believe is then saved by John McCarthy, who makes a really nice save down to his left. Yeah. And Jack Elliott just comes up and finishes. It's 3-2. You get a look at Subaru Park back in, in Pennsylvania, and they're going crazy, right? All the Union fans at a watch party there are going wild. The Union on the sidelines are going wild. I think this game is done yet again. I rewrite my intro. I know I'm oh, the no. real I'm the real victim of all of this, by the way, just in case people weren't picking up on that theme. It is a insane moment, Grim. It is a 124th-minute yeah. winner at that moment, a winner from a center back with his second goal of the game, who then the broadcast crews are getting ready to announce as the MLS uh, Cup MVP. That doesn't. None of this ends up mattering, right? None of it ends up mattering in the grand scheme of things. We're not going to remember this goal from Jack Elliott, which is a crime, because of how good it was and how big this moment was. But that's just how this game was, Graham. Because a mm. few minutes later, LAFC marched right, down, right back down the field in the 128th minute. Right, We are so deep into second half of extra time, stoppage time, because of that injury to Crepo, which was a long stoppage. I believe there were nine minutes of stoppage time for this second half extra time period. And Gareth Bale comes in and does Gareth Bale things. Steve Trondolo after the game said it's Gareth being Gareth. Grim, what what happened on this goal? What were you thinking? What I, you you talk now? Your turn. I I don't even know what to say. So even though their their this match had gone the way it had gone up and up until then at three two, 
Particularly with regards to Bale, I didn't think he was going to do anything. I was pretty confident that he wasn't going to come up with because a he hadn't. Bale moment. Because he hadn't because done anything in, in he leading up to that done, moment. He hadn't done anything in this game. The the thing, the two things that he'd done was he made kind of two half clearances in the in in the build up to the the Jack Elliott third Philly goal. That was the most we'd seen of Gareth Bale up until that moment. And when you watched them, I don't think he's fit. Like at no, all, he's not. I don't think he is in any way fit. And watching him in extra time, he was barely moving. Cer- certainly not in the way that we're used to seeing Gareth Bale movement moving. You know, obviously early in his career, he's all about getting in behind and explosive, explosive pace and 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 movement. There was none of that at all. And I think that was reflected in the position that he played. Basically, LAFC just told him to get in the box, and they were going to get crosses into him. I watched my United play Real Sostad the other night and they brought on Harry Maguire for the last uh, 10 minutes to essentially hit with crosses and obviously in the playoffs to make a more relevant, MLS relevant uh, reference. Walker Zimmerman did that for Nashville earlier in the playoffs. Uh, was that against LA Galaxy? I can't remember. There's been yeah, so much I think football so. recently. That's essentially what Bale did in this match. He's in that position to score that goal because he, he can't run much at the moment. He can't attack from wide like he usually does. And even if he was to drift out to those positions, he can't really run or beat a player. So this was a huge gamble by Steve Turundolo. Putting Bale on in that condition, I think you're kind of putting your faith in the intangibles, the gravity that these superstar players have to make something happen somehow when they really shouldn't be able to. There's nothing in logic that says Bale should have been able to score that goal, that said that goal was coming. And that's why I felt towards the end of this game, I was fairly confident that Philly were going to see this out. And I was really confident that Gareth Bale wasn't going to do anything. But the gamble paid off, amazingly. And you get that that global viral moment. I think it's had two and a half million views Unreal. on MLS's uh, Twitter account since last night. And... It sends LAFC to a penalty shootout and obviously they win the game from there. So no matter what Gareth Bale does from now, and I'd say his LAFC career has been very underwhelming to this point. He's he's barely played. I think he's started two games since he joined in the summer. But he's always going to be thought of for that moment from now on. He is, in a sense, I'm not going to say he's an MLS legend, but he has that, that iconic MLS moment attached yeah. to his career. And it's just weird that it panned out this way because I didn't see it coming. No, he he was not fit. And he said as much after the game talking to to us in the media. He said, I'm not 100%. Basically, he was ready to go 20 or 30 minutes if LAFC needed him, right? He was fully happy if LAFC were were going to do well in this game and had it locked up. He wasn't going to come on the field, right? I think he wanted to play, but it, it just didn't need to happen if LAFC didn't need him. As it turns out, they did need him. And LAFC signed Gareth Bale for this exact moment, right? They signed him to manufacture something magical at a time when they had nothing. And that's exactly what Gareth Bale did. And, and you had Carlos Vela. I think this is my favorite quote of, of the night, and one of my favorite post-game quotes ever. Carlos Vela said after the game, for 10, 50, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it was like a Halloween movie. And he was talking about basically the period from Crepo's red card and his injury to the time where Jack Elliott gets his second goal that puts the Union up 3-2 deep into extra time. That's 124th minute. Vela said it was like a Halloween movie. And then we finished with a Hollywood movie. And that's that's what Gareth Bale's here to do. He's here to turn the ties. He's here to change the script into that sort of Hollywood moment. And that's exactly what happened in this game. He gets a nice header. He's patient, waiting for the ball to come in from Diego Palacios. It's a good cross. Palacios comes up big in that moment. And he rises up over Jack Elliott. Again, another storyline there who'd scored the previous two goals for Philadelphia and gets it to be 3-3. We're going to penalty kicks. At this point, it's a backup goalkeeper versus Andre Blake in the penalty kick shootout, Graham. I think this is done. I think the Union have this one in the bag. <laughs> You've thought Go- that before. Goalkeepers win you games in penalty shootouts. That is what happens. Last year, Sean Johnson helped NYCFC beat Portland in a shootout. He was the better goalkeeper in that game, and the better team won in that game. I- that's not what happened in the penalty kick shootout. No. Teo comes on for LAFC. He had been on a little bit earlier in the game. I forgot he existed, frankly. I forgot he was on this LAFC roster. He comes on to start extra time. And his penalty, his first penalty, is atrocious for LAFC. He misses. It's easily saved. I think, okay, yep, this one's pretty much over. And then it's Daniel Daniel Gazdag who comes on and gets three points because he shoots his penalty like a field goal, NFL style. It goes well over the bar. It's, It's well struck, just not on target, and it would work for the NFL. And then it's Buanga who scores. John McCarthy saves Jose Martinez. It's Ryan Hollingshead who scores. Buanga saves, uh, sorry, uh, John McCarthy saves Kai Wagner. And then Ilya Sanchez puts it away. LAFC win 3-3 and 3-0 in the penalty kick shootout. Graham, Bank of California Stadium at this point is going absolutely wild. I can't believe what I've just seen. I can't believe 
that someone who who uh, really hadn't seen much time at all in MLS this year, John McCarthy, an MLS sort of journeyman, is coming up big in this yeah. moment, and and he deserves it, right? I mean, he gave some just incredible quotes, and and you got some great insight into him and his personality after the match. Uh, just truly wild, truly insane. I I still honestly cannot believe that LAFC <laughs> pulled this thing off. There's some sort of unwritten rule in soccer that when you have a goalkeeper who's barely played or um, you know has barely been thought about uh, at all in a season and they get thrown into a high-pressure environment like this, you just kind of know, and again, it's similar to the Bale moment, there's no logic behind it. You can't explain it, but you just know that they're, they're going to be the hero in some way. So I agree with you. On, on on the basis of the quality of the two goalkeepers, Andre Blake versus John McCarthy should, should be a non-contest. But I did kind of feel like McCarthy was going to, just also because of the Philly storyline story as well. Obviously, he's he's kind of Philly through and through. You could have put Rob McElhenney, who actually I think was at the game, you could have put him in goals and you would have had less of a Philly guy in goals for, uh, for LAFC. So as soon as it gets to the shootout, I kind of see it at that point, I am starting, starting to see it signposted what's going to happen. And that's that's what happens as as LAFC John McCarthy as, oh. as the hero for LAFC. What I wanted was a celebrity pitch invasion. All those celebrities on the stands <laughs> on the pitch. I wanted I wanted Justin Bieber. I saw he was the camera was showing him during the game. You pro- you might not have seen this, although you you probably had a TV monitor in, at, at your desk. But he was like joining in with the abuse of the yeah. referee during the game, which was which was quite fun. So it wouldn't have surprised me much to see Justin Bieber on the pitch, just fully and in, uh, getting involved with the. With the atmosphere, which just sounded incredible. Yeah, I mean, this game was legendary. Again, maybe not for a lot of the quality on the field, but for the dead ball moments, for the individual moments, and all the stories. Grand. Before we started recording, we were talking about how you know, oftentimes in finals, you might get one crazy moment that you write about and that you talk yeah. about. This one, Graham, you said had like eight, and you're you're absolutely right about that. It had so many positive plot points. It had some negative ones too, right? The Crepo's injury and LAFC fans consistently throwing things on the field, uh, which yeah, happened so over and over and over again. I believe the public, uh, the, the PA announcer had to do three messages about, you know, people coming into arrest to people throwing stuff on the field. Don't do that. It doesn't add anything to the game. It's not, don't, don't do that stuff. So LAFC did that consistently. That is a little bit of a, a damper on how cool this moment could have been for them. But they they didn't really let any of that stop them because they were having a ball after the game as the the moment was decided and Elias Sanchez hits that ball into the back of the net. Graham, this is iconic. It is one of the best MLS games that I've ever seen for the reasons we laid out. Graham, before we get out of here and, and before we, we ride off into the sunset, what's next for these two teams? Let's start with LAFC. Congratulations again to mm-hmm. them for winning this thing. Carlos Vela says he's coming back. He says he wants more. Um, it sounds like he was pretty content to come back and try to do this thing again. I don't really know what his role is going to look like going forward. I think it's going to be a little bit different, but it sounds like a lot of the band is sticking together. Grim, what what's next for this LAFC team? What can they do next year? I think 2023 could be a tougher year for them. So as you mentioned, um, with Vela's future, there's still some things to be sorted out there. He said after the game he'll be back, but as you say, in what role, we're not entirely sure. Um, Sifuentes he's probably going to be out of that club by the time he, he should be Graham, he around. should be gone or Premier League teams aren't doing their jobs I'm going to put it that yeah. way yeah it seems I mean even if he's there for the first half of the season it seems highly unlikely that he will be there for the full MLS season in 2023 Palacios is off to the World Cup so there could be some interest in him as well um, Gareth Bale I know he's not been a key figure but if you're looking to 2023 once he gets his fitness back you know he, he potentially could be an important player He's only contracted until the summer. Um, I don't think it's entirely certain that he'll even be back at LAFC after the World Cup. Maybe he chooses a a, a career. Maybe he makes a career decision that's that's more about his actual club career because I think the LAFC move has been all about preparing for the World Cup. So I don't think it's guaranteed that he's back. Uh, you might have some cap challenges as well. They've also got CCL now because of this and, and Leagues Cup is in there as, as well. So there's going to be some pressures on that LAFC, LAFC uh, roster and that team. But what I will say is that LAFC have, they've lost big players before. They've had pressures before. And the way that John Thorrington has replenished that team over and over again to keep it moving forward has, has been very impressive. So yes, Sifuentes might go. They might lose a couple others as well. 
But as I say, their track record suggests that they can handle it. They have the front office, they have the general manager. They do spend money. I know LAFC spend money and I know that um, Ernst Tanner likes to to bring that up because obviously Philly's approach is very different. But I would still say that LAFC use that money very well to keep them at the top. So I kind of have faith, even if this team looks a bit different next season or certainly by the end of next season, I still have faith that they will be competitive because, as I say, their track record shows that they're very good at staying up near the top. Yeah, Graham, let me ask you this. If you had to make your preseason predictions today as far as what team finishes on top of the West next year, are you picking anybody other than LAFC? Because I don't think I am. Things will change. Their squad will look different, but Mm. they're deep enough right now, and Thornton's track record is good enough to the point where I think you kind of have to pick them to finish top. Even if they don't, I think their odds of doing that right now are probably higher than anybody else in the West. Is Ricky Pooge ah, still at LA, LA Galaxy? And his, is he there for the full season? Because that, that could change things. It felt like the Galaxy, not to, we're going off on a little bit of a tangent no, here, sure. but it felt like towards the end of that season, the Galaxy started to figure some things out. And obviously that that El Trafico, that Trafico game was was excellent and could have kind of gone either way as well. It could have been the Galaxy that come through that game. So maybe the Galaxy are the, are the closest to figuring some things out and, and, and pushing LAFC. I, I would love to see that in the West for obvious reasons with that rivalry. My hope for next season actually is we kind of start to see the beginning of a little bit of a, of a dual two-club dynasty between Philly and LAFC because I think that's been part of the problem with, with MLS is every single season the snow globe gets, gets shaken and next season, the teams that were near the top are now down the bottom. And, and that makes it a little bit difficult to build narratives. And you look at other sports and the things that really catch the attention, you know, Real Madrid-Barcelona rivalries over a number of seasons, even in basketball, you know, the 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 Golden State Warriors and, and the, the Cleveland Cavaliers over a number of seasons. Are you proud of me, Joe? I'm making American sport references. Graham, you're doing now. great, buddy. Keep it up. You're doing awesome. <laughs> Basically, the point I'm, I'm getting to is I would quite like to see Philly and LAFC develop a little bit of a rivalry. Obviously, I know they're... It's not going to be a geographical rivalry, but in terms of the two quality, the quality of the two teams, I would like to see them back up near the top of MLS next season so we can get more of these games because this isn't the first game that we've had between these two teams that has ended up like this. The game, the two games before were another 3-3 and a 2-2. So there's just something about these two teams that brings chaos out of each other. And I am here for more chaos next year. Yeah, me too. Let's do one quick bit on Philly before we get out of here, Graham. Obviously, we feel for them. They were really close to getting this thing done. I think they should be a contender again next year for trophies, just as they were this year. Their squad, like LAFC's, will look different. Paxson Aronson, Tom Bogart reported earlier this week that he is, he's gone and off to Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga for about $4 million. Uh, so that's going to change the calculus a little bit in terms of the next guys coming up. Kai Wagner has interest from Europe and, and probably will head off across the Atlantic at some point in the not-too-distant future. You have to imagine maybe there's a couple of other players that are gone as well. Things are going to change, and Jim Curtin talked about that after the game. You know, he wants to keep this group together, but he also knows that when you have success, I think he phrased it as guys want a little bit more. And, and he said, you know, they deserve a little bit more because they're good players, and it's hard to keep these kinds of cores together. I don't think it's going to look exactly the same for Philly next year as it does this year, as it did this year. But the approach is going to be the same. A lot of the players are going to be the same. They're still producing young talent in a way that most other MLS teams aren't. I think they're going to be a force next year, maybe along with NYCFC at the top of the East. Maybe a couple other teams are sneaking in there as well after a down year this year. But yeah, Philly, I would expect, and I don't know if this helps Philly fans, I would expect them to be back up in a similar position, maybe not in MLS Cup, but making a good run towards the Shield Mm -hmm. again in 2023. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of overlap in terms of my thoughts of how LAFC will fare next year and also how Philadelphia Union will fare because similar to LAFC, they've got a strong track record. They've got that that superstar GM. Obviously, Tanner operates in a, in a different way to, uh, to LAFC and John Thorrington, but nonetheless, that team just has a, a strong track record of replenishing that side over and over again. The, the dynamic is slightly different with them losing Pax and Aronson to someone like Sifuentes. Obviously, Aronson, not a not a core part of that Philly team. I think the regret for them will be different in that they're not going to see Pax Narsen at, at his best. They're not really going to see anything close to him at, at, at full maturity. He's going to make that move before before he's kind of made his impact in, in MLS. That's very different to Sifuentes, who's obviously for LAFC a core part of that team. But similar similar sort of uh, conclusion, I, I feel like Philly will will replenish well. They'll come back again. As I said at the top of the show, if they use that, that motivation of having lost out so narrowly for the Shield and the Cup. Um, and it feels like there's there's precedent for Philly using this because obviously last year they lost the Eastern Conference final 
to NYCFC, who went on to win MLS Cup, and they had 11 players missing from that game for COVID. And it kind of felt like that was a little bit of a motivation this season. Philly felt that 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 they'd been very unlucky last year. And so they, they, uh, they kind of came again, they built a game for this season. They were even stronger this season. So I do think there's precedent for Philly coming back round again next season. I fully expect that they will be competitive again. Well, Graham, I'm exhausted. I feel like I need a nap, and it's 8.30 in the morning where I am, so I can't even imagine how you feel Perfect right now. <laughs> it is. It is honestly a good nap time. Graham, I can't imagine how you're doing right now after staying up till 4 in the morning or whatever the heck it was to, to make it all the way through this game, to get ready to do this show with me. So for now, Graham Ruffin, all I'm going to say is thank you for staying up late. Thank you for talking about this crazy game with me. <laughs> it's been a blast. Thank you, Joseph Lowry. And safe, a safe uh, journey home to, uh, to Arizona. Are you driving home, did you say, from yes. L.A.? Yes, I'm not the only. Some I, of my family came with, so it's not It's not going to be oh, me nice. driving solo. But it's only about six hours, so even still, so, it's not too bad. Sing-alongs on the way home, then. <laughs> Have you picked up any uh, the, uh, LAFC supporter section chants for you all to uh, master on the way home to Arizona? We'll be doing some LAFC chants. We're also going to be doing a, a dupe, sad, a sad, solemn dupe song as well. <laughs> so... We're going to do that, plus Disney sing-along, and we're going to get there right. in no time. Bieber's in the back seat as well, I think. Yes, right? yeah, we have Baby queued up for about, I think, hour three on repeat, so <laughs> that'll be fun. Oh, that sounds like hell. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Actually, let's not do that, everybody. Either way, Graham Rothman, thank you again for joining me. Listeners, thank you for joining us and sticking all the way through to the end. We appreciate you, and we'll be back with World Cup previews starting on Monday. For now, that's all we got. <laughs>